Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what's up? Actually, something that I've been thinking about a lot is a new project that I've been working on. And I'm calling it today because I have trouble with organizing what I need to look at and see just for today. And so it is an app that will show me my view of just today, all the meetings I have, questions, tasks for the day. Fun. Yeah. Building apps like that to solve problems you have, I find that's when I learn the most. I've also found out that I tend to build quickly and ignore all of the best practices that I've learned along the way. So hopefully soon I can go back and update my code. I think there's value in both, honestly. There's a lot of value in people who can just ship things. And there's a lot of value in people who can do things, quote unquote, the right way. Big quote, maybe extra quotes on that, just because what is the right way? It depends on the time and the place and et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I'd rather have someone who can ship things than write perfect code. I also had a chance to play around with chat GPT for it and asking it Rails questions. And I was mainly trying to validate if it was giving me correct answers. That's cool. Was it? Yeah. I even had trouble with this nested hash object thing that I was working on. And my brain just wasn't working that time. So I copied what I needed. I was like, I need a hash that has this key that maps to this object, which maps to this other object. Then after I got the hash object back, I was like, crap, I forgot how to pull all of the information back out. So then I was like, how do I pull the information back out? And it just gave me the code for everything. It was pretty amazing, actually. It does a pretty good job, I find. I learned a little bit more about ChatGPT. We're not spending the whole episode on this, listeners, don't worry. But the reason why GPT-3, which came before this one, was not as good is because the version that we're using, ChatGPT, was trained on source code in addition to other things. So I was reading a little bit more about it and I was like, oh, that's really interesting because like the previous version wasn't very good. It was like returning wrong answers and stuff, but they did more than just train it on source code. But one of the big distinguishers in this version is it was trained on source code. So that's why it's able to do all this code stuff that we're like, how does it know? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't do stimulus very well. Part of the reason is that it wants to use the old stimulus code, which makes sense because if it was trained on a bunch of source code, a lot of that source code is probably using the old stimulus version. So I've had you know a little trouble trying to make it do that. But otherwise, it's quite good. Yeah, quite I actually good. also like the part where I might not understand something. So I'll be like, what do you mean by X? And then it will tell you. And then when it is wrong with something, I'll be like, did you mean this? And then I'll be like, I apologize. Yes. <laughs> yeah. GitHub's Copilot, which uses AI to help give you autocomplete and suggestions and stuff. They built in this cool thing called brushes into it recently. And it can do several different things. It's not really good with Ruby. It's very good with like JavaScript and stuff like that. But one of the things that it has is like you can highlight code and ask it to explain it. And I've done that several times. And sometimes it's not correct, but sometimes I'm like, oh, that's how that works. I didn't understand like what this little piece of syntax is doing. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. One thing I did with chat GPT was ask, can you explain that as if I'm five? And it would start talking about like toys and what you do with those. So that was, I can't remember. Oh, I asked it to explain OAuth (laughs) Ah, to me. Nice. Well, we're going to continue with our February series. 
talking about different object types in Ruby and our favorite methods with them. And today we're talking about the hash, maybe one of the more important or more widely used objects other than, you know, the strings and numbers and stuff like that. But in terms of data <laughs> objects, hash is a big one for Rubyists. I'll give the Ruby definition of it just so we all have a place to start. A hash is a dictionary-like collection of unique keys and their values. Also called associative arrays, they're similar to arrays, but where an array uses integers as its index, a hash allows you to use an object type. So a lot of times people use strings or symbols. And hash enumerates their values in that order that the corresponding keys were inserted. So basically saying it's in the order that you insert into the hash. It's not like an auto-ordered anything. It's just like you add something to the hash, it's added at the bottom, and that's how it goes. Can the key be any object? No, I don't think so. I don't think you can use the number one, but I think you can use the string one. Let's find out. Hold on. (laughs) Doing it live. Yeah, that's not valid. You can't use the number one. But now if I change it to string one, that works. So you can't use an integer, but you can use a string. String and symbols. I don't know if I've seen anyone use anything other than string and symbol. And I'm not really sure if anything else is valid. Hold on. What did you try when you put it in? You said... I did curly brackets, which is how you create a hash. And then I did Uh integer one colon and then just something for the value. And that gave me a syntax error. So then I did in quotations, so making it a string one and assigned that to a value and that worked. It returned me a a hash with the value one is the key, but as a string, string, not an integer. Okay, well, I just did hash equals empty bracket. Then I did hash square bracket one, integer one equals whatever. And then I asked it to return the hash to me and it worked. So now I'm kind of wondering, okay. like, is it really a one? So you or said you- hash equals empty hash and then hash, you just hash one equals two? Yeah. And what's hash? Okay. And if I do hash one, okay, that's interesting. So it doesn't allow you to assign it when you're creating it, but it allows you to assign it like that. That's really interesting. Wait, can you go back and explain how you did it the first time? Because I just tried hash equals bracket integer one arrow and that worked. So what I did was I didn't assign it to a variable, but then I just did a second ago and it did the same thing. So I did hash equals curly bracket integer one colon and then a value. And it's Oh, you did colon. Yeah, because you have to have colon, right? To assign to a hash. You created the key and then assigned the value. I created the key and the value at the same time. Yeah, though you did a colon, doesn't that turn it into like a symbol or something? I didn't add it before the one, I added after the one. If you just do curly brackets, like string foo, colon, and then whatever. I think that turned it into a symbol. It shouldn't. What did you do? Oh my gosh, I did hash equals bracket string foo, colon, string whatever. Right. And then when I try to do hash string foo, it returns nil instead of whatever. Hold on, folks. And now, when I do, <laughs> and now when I did hash symbol foo, it returns whatever. Interesting. And the only reason why I even thought this might be a problem is because I was working on something at work. And for the life of me, I could not figure out why I couldn't figure out how to pull a hash back out. And I think because I was using the colon, it was changing my string into a symbol. And I kept using a string to pull the value out. But 
I think it changed it into a symbol. Because it doesn't always do that. So now I'm kind of confused. Like usually, especially in Rails, like you're probably used to typing like symbolized keys, which actually I think is a Ruby method, which takes all the keys of the hash and turns them into symbols. Because I don't know about you, but I much prefer accessing hash values via a symbolized key versus a string key. And sometimes in Rails, it will automatically do that. But I'm in IRB and it, you're right. It does look like it turned it into a symbol. So let me see if I do foo and the value is set to bar and then I do hash dot keys dot first dot class name undefined method class name for symbol. So it is a symbol. I'm going to say class. Yeah, so it did symbolize it. That's interesting. I'm on the Ruby 3.13 while doing this. I don't know. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I thought it would keep it as a string because where I run into this most often is when I'm parsing JSON. And so maybe the JSON parse doesn't do it, but maybe setting a hash up automatic. I don't know. Maybe someone in the audience knows and can tell us. I thought it would keep it as a string, but it does appear to be like symbolizing it. Very interesting. I just tried to change to like Ruby 2.5 to see what it does. I miss the colors already in IRB. Yeah. Like in Ruby 2.5, it's all white. Does it do the same thing? Yeah. All right. Well, then I guess I'm wrong. I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, (laughs) tangent aside, Uh, sorry, that was (laughs) longer than anticipated. Hey there, I'm Andrew Mason, and I've got an amazing gem to tell you about, Avo. It helps you build content management systems and internal tools with Ruby on Rails incredibly fast. You don't need to deal with any CSS or JavaScript files as Avo takes care of all the UI work for you resulting in a modern, mobile-first CRUD interface ready to deploy. Plus, it provides access to features almost every application needs, like actions, filters, search, sorting, active storage integration, dashboards, and much more. So if you're looking for an ultra-powerful and maintainable platform to build your next product or service, look no further. Avo harnesses the power of Rails, Hotwire, Tailwind CSS, view components to provide you with a fast and easy-use stack the Rails way. Don't wait any longer. Visit avohq.io and give Avo a try today. You won't regret it. I guess we'll dive right in. So the first one that we have listed here is merge, hash merge, which returns a new hash formed by merging each of the other hashes into a copy of self. So the reason why you would merge specifically, I think you can add two hashes together, but that's going to be hash one plus hash two return hash. When you merge, there might be commonality in your hashes when you merge. And what merging will do is it won't duplicate the symbol and the values that are the same. It will basically remove them. So if I have like a hash that's like foo one, bar one, baz two, and I'm trying to merge it with one where foo is also equal to zero, then foo zero is not going to be duplicated in the returned hash. It will only be in there once. So there might be commonality in these two hashes, and I want to remove that commonality and merge the differences. Gotcha. It looks like if you have a key that's the same in your hash and in the one you want to merge into, like which one is going to win? Right. Is my question. It looks like in the example, the one that's being merged into the object that you're trying to merge is the one that's going to win. Let's find out. So I just create a hash, foo, key foo is set to value one, key bar is set to value two, and I did merge, and then I gave it a new hash, 
where foo is equal to two, but bar is the same value, which is two. And so it returned foo set to two and bar set to two. So you're right. If I set bar equal to three, then it returns foo two bar three, even though foo is one and bar is two in the original. So yes, you are correct. Okay. Cool. If the key is duplicated, but the values are the same, it will use the value that you're merging. The value from the thing you're trying to merge. Nice. Words A little are complicated, but yeah, words are hard. <laughs> Hash fetch. I use this one constantly, constantly use this. It returns the value for a given key if found. If the key is not found and no block was given, it returns a default value. So I do this a lot where you most commonly for JSON hashes, where I basically want to get the value of a certain key. But if the value of that key is nil, I don't want my program to error. Like if you do a conventional way where you're like hash, square brackets, and then you have your key and you want to return the value, like that's not going to return the exact way you want probably. Because typically you're like, okay, well, if there is no value, then I kind of just want a default. And that's where fetch is really great. The other time I do this a lot is in view components, actually, where I'll say, if a class name is passed in to my options, then I want to use that. But if there is no value passed in, I want to use a default value maybe. And so that's a nice way to like add more extendability into your view components where you're like, maybe you have like color. And if there's no color passed in, you want to default to your base color. And so that's where you would use fetch where you're like, okay, fetch from the options passed in this component, fetch the color. If the color is not present, I want to use this default color. I like this one a lot. I can't recall if I personally have used fetch, but this is a great use case for when you don't know if the thing is going to turn back what you already have. It's a way to write more defensive code. One thing my dad taught me very early on was like, you need to be a defensive driver, right? Just assume everyone around you is an idiot and that you need to be on defense the whole time because people are crazy. So you can kind of extend that to like, well, we have no idea what the API is going to return or what this is going to return or what that's going to return or what options are being passed in. So we want to make sure that number one, it doesn't error out. So that's part one. And then part two is like, well, we want to make this a nice API for this object. And so by allowing the developer to not think about, oh, well, if I want to pass in a color, but I want it to be default, why pass in the default color if I could just have it automatically use default if I don't pass one in? So like I said, I use that a lot with building components. Definitely check that out. If you're building a lot of components and you're like, well, it's kind of hard to use, or I don't always remember what things I'm supposed to pass in or this or that. Using fetch can be really nice here by allowing you to just pass like an options hash to your component initializer and then use method to like pull things out and assign things and then you're on your way. So the part where it doesn't error out, I think goes along with the hash dig that doesn't error out if it can't find something. I don't use dig a lot. People are like, you should be using dig here. And I'm like, oh, I always forget. Like, I never remember when I'm supposed to use dig. So dig extracts the nested value specified by the sequence of key objects by calling dig at each step, returning nil if the intermediate step is nil. I think dig is when you want to access like nested values pretty much. Yeah, and that's actually what this says. Extracts the nested nested value. Whereas I am using fetch here when I should be using dig. 
Wow. I think both fetch and dig are something I could have been using. And actually I shouldn't say could have, because I can always change the code for the project that I was explaining earlier, right. the nested hash that I was trying to do. The interesting part about dig is it's going to return an error. It's going to error out if it's wrong. So that's kind of another reason why I always reach for fetch because I'm trying to build that really defensive code of, okay, well, if it's nil, I want to do this. Not, I don't want my program to error out. So yeah, dig is for nested objects, nested hashes. And I don't use it as much as I should. I know I have a friend who uses it constantly and he's constantly like, oh, well, you could use dig here. You could just dig here. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but... Maybe you will now after this episode. Yeah, now that like this is for nested objects. I don't think I ever really had that in my brain. So Mm -hmm. maybe I will use it correctly now. The next one is hash.new. And this returns a new empty hash object. However, you can also pass it a default value and then it will always have a default value. If you didn't pass anything, the default value would just be nil. And then also you can pass in, this is my favorite part, I guess. If you pass in a block, you have two arguments and the two arguments are hash and key. So like the hash will be itself and then the key will be the key. The default value. I don't want to explain this. Can you explain it? I can't either. You probably will never find the words hash.new in my code. So what the docs say is if a block is given, but no arguments, it stores the block as the default proc and sets the default value to nil. So you can do hash.new and pass it a block. And in the block arguments are hash and key. And then you can return default value for string interpolated key. And so hash.default is nil, but hash.default proc.class is a proc. So hash, and then you give it a key that doesn't exist. It returns default value for key. So if I do hash and then I put the key as like foo, it will turn default value for foo. I don't ever do this. So listeners, if you have a use case for hash.new and passing in blocks, please let us know. Like I could think up of a use case, but I feel like I would solve it a different way. Yeah. Like I said, I don't ever do hash.new. If I need a new hash, I just do hash equals and then the curly brackets. Can you do a default value for that? No, not that I know of. But that's why I'm saying like, I've never needed a default value for a hash. If I need a default value, then I'm going to solve this a different way personally. Because if you need it, like for me, a hash is like for storing all, like it's a dictionary, right? Which is if you know Python, then you know what dictionaries are. And so you're like, okay, to me, like there's no point in storing the same data or having a default value in a hash because like, to me, that's the point of having a hash that... It's all different. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not like in a dictionary, you would have a word that has a default definition. So if there's no value, I want it to be nil because that's easier. Because what if you have a hash and you're like, oh, well, actually, some of these aren't supposed to be nil. How are you going to figure out like what's nil? Oh, well, now I got to search my hash for this default value. And so I'm like, but I would rather it be nil personally. Yeah, I've been curious to hear any use cases where we would need a default value. So if you have those, please let us know. Yeah, very interesting. I didn't really know you could do that. Didn't Uh, know that you could do what? I didn't know that you could pass a default value to hash in the first place. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime should not be one. 
Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with HoneyBadger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at HoneyBadger.io with plans starting at free. Yeah, you heard me, free. A big thank you to HoneyBadger for sponsoring this episode of Ruby for All. The next one you have here is values at. I don't use this one either, but it returns a new array containing the values for the given keys. So if you have a hash that's like foo zero bar one baz two, and you do hash dot values at baz and foo, it will return the array two and zero. So it returns an array of the values for the keys that you pass it. In that order. And if the default values are returned for any keys that are not found. By default, the default value is nil. So if I try to say values at hello and foo, when my keys are foo bar baz, it's going to return nil and then the value for foo, which is zero. I don't use that one typically, but I could see why I would use this. Maybe I actually could use this more than I do. So let's say I'm going to go back to my component example because that's really where I use hashes a lot, at least in my spare time. Let's say you have all these values in your options that correspond to certain CSS classes that you want to apply on this component. So let's say you have a button component and your button component just accepts options. So like a hash of whatever values pass it. And then maybe you have a color and maybe you have a margin and maybe you're passing it all these other style related things. So then you could take all the specifically class related or things that you want to build up into your class list. And you could take all those specific values, like your class value, your border value, your margin value, and then you merge all those together into an array. And then you turn that array into a string. And then you've got your class list that you want to apply. The reason why I don't do that as much is because typically I want to do a little bit of massaging. I want to pass in color primary. And then in the component, it changes it into like BG primary or BG, whatever the actual color is. So if you're passing in those things specifically, then you could still use this where you're like, okay, well, I pass in color equals BG primary and I pass in border equals border top or whatever. And then you could use this to do that. So I could definitely think of other places you could use this. But again, I don't use this as much. Cool. So our next one is transform values. Returns a new hash object. Each entry has a key from self, a value provided by the block. So you can have a hash. And then if you call transform values with a block, you can actually update the values that are in your hash. So if you were to pass in a block that says update all the values to multiply itself by 100 and you have integers as your values, then each value will be updated to that times 100. One place you might use this, for example, is if your front end is collecting monetary values, but your back end is storing like the cents. And I'm not saying you should solve it like this. There are other things you can use, but that's an example you could think of like, okay, well, on the front end, my user enters 1.00 for $1. But then when the parameters come in, I want to transform that to be cents. So I'll transform all the money related values to be multiply them by 100. So now I have all the cent values. Or... Could you do it if, say, you wanted to decrease all your prices to be 10% off or something? Sure. 
<laughs> for a and temporary guess, moment. I'm not saying that's the way you would solve this, but I'm saying that is a way to solve this. Gotcha. Another could be a lot of times we have text inputs and in the back end, we don't want extra spaces in the input. And so maybe the user types their last name, but they paste it. So there's like a bunch of extra new lines or extra spaces at the end of it. Transform values, you might do that to like make sure that you normalize all your data that's coming in. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, so I use this one definitely. And then if you add a bang to it, it will do it in place, just kind of like the other bang methods. So yeah, that's a good one. I use that one for sure. Next one we got is hash reject. So it returns a new hash object whose entries are all of those from self for which the block returns false or nil. And so as you can probably tell from the description, you pass reject a block. Are we rejecting the keys or the values or either? You can do either. So oh, interesting. Okay, based so on the when, block, you can reject it with whatever. Yeah. It's not acceptable. Right. So for a block, for a hash, it uses the key and the value as the arguments. So you could do key.start with A or whatever. And so you're rejecting any of the keys that start with that letter. Or if you do value.ends with B, you're rejecting all those values. So this is similar to reject in arrays where you also pass in a block. And if the conditions meets the rejection, then it filters out those things from the array. So it's like the opposite of filter. I never use filter. What's filter? Hash filter is an alias for hash select. Okay. Hash select returns a new hash object whose entries are those for which the block returns a truthy value. Yes. So that seems like the opposite of reject which makes sense, select, reject. So for select, give the values less than two or the value contains B or something, or the key starts with B. If you had a hash of people and you want to filter out the children, for example. Sure. And you yeah. only want adults, then you can reject age. Yeah. Less than 18. Yeah, if you had a hash where the keys are the names and the values are their age, yep, that's exactly what you could do. Cool. Nice example. I think the last one we're going to go over because we're running a little on time is... Oh, no, we have one more after this. Hash key question mark, which I believe will just return true if the key is in the hash and false if it's not. I think it's so, also an alias for include. Yes, it is. An alias for include. Has key and Yeah, so there's number. several alias for this. <laughs> I'm now curious what the history behind that is. But it's pretty straightforward. It's just like, does this hash contain this key? Yes or no? You might use this with parameters, for instance. You probably don't want to solve that at your controller level, but that's one place you could do that. You're like, make sure this key is contained in these parameters. So that one's pretty straightforward. The last one is compact. I just like it because it's nice to be able to remove anything with no values. So if you have a hash and your values, contain nil, then it will remove those nil values and return a new hash that doesn't have values that are nil. Yep. You can also call bang on it and it will do it in place. I forgot that hash had compact, which is actually good to know. So yeah, this is very much similar to the way array compact works where like Julie said, if it's nil, it doesn't include it in the return value, which is very nice if you have like a big old list of keys and most of them are nil, then let's just keep the ones we care about. Yeah. 
I think that's it for our hash list for today. Cool. Well, I learned a lot. I learned several things as well, which is good (laughs) because hash is very important for Ruby developers, I think. So yeah, the more we know, the better code we can write. Now I know when to use dig. Perfect. (laughs) This has been great. (laughs) I remember when first learning Ruby, I could not grasp the hash object at all. It was so hard. I don't know why it was so hard. I'm curious if I were to turn back time and think about what I was feeling during the time, but I just remember hashes were really hard for me. I think I understand them only because I learned Python before Ruby and Python has dictionaries, which I mentioned. And I think they're immutable in Python. That may be wrong, but I'm just going to say it. So I had already had this kind of understanding of like key value pairs. So that was nice, but it is confusing for sure. And because it's so widely used, like it's such an integral part of Ruby. Yeah, it can be a little confusing at first, especially when you're like, why can't I access this thing? Like I run into that, like can't access this key for some reason. What's the issue? And it turns out like going all the way back to the beginning of this is like, oh, it's actually a string key. Apparently, <laughs> sometimes things are string keys. Yeah, we'll have to figure <laughs> that part out. But so yeah. That's funny uh, that you started with Python first because I went to Python after learning some Ruby. So I recall the dictionary helping me understand the hash yeah. better. Yeah, I went Visual Basic, Java, Python, PHP, Assembly, Ruby, I think. Oh my gosh. Something like that. So I got to Ruby a little bit later, but I think all the other programming I'd done before then really helped me appreciate Ruby first off. It's like, oh my God, I don't have to do all this weird setup stuff that I have to do in Java. And I don't have to automatically add getters and setters, which is something Ruby does for you, which... I did not understand object-oriented programming until I learned Ruby. And I had been in object-oriented classes for years at that point. So I don't know. But this at least helped me. So hopefully, listeners, something in here helped you. And if we didn't explain something right, or you have some further clarification on things that we mentioned earlier, let us know. Happy to go back and increase both of our understanding of this. So Julie, I think I'll catch you next week for some strings. Should be fun. All right. Looking forward to it. And I will talk to you later. And listeners, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye, everyone.